Hello and welcome to the 2020 F1 Strategy Report, powered by Apex Race Manager, the mobile race management simulator. My name's Michael Laminato and this is Round 10, the Russian Grand Prix. Lewis Hamilton started from pole, but had to overcome serious odds to win this race. First, he started on what he believed was the wrong tyre. Then he had to fend off both teammate Valtteri Bottas and Red Bull Racing's Max Verstappen in the slipstream off the line. He overcame both, but his final hurdle, two five-second penalties for illegal practice starts, was insurmountable, paving the way for Valtteri Bottas to win his second race of the year. But is there anything Hamilton could have done to equal an F1 record 91 victories? To look back on what could have been, I'm joined by a man who provides life-giving stats to TV broadcasters, F1 itself, and even some teams. So you know he's good. It's Sean Kelly. Sean, how are you doing? I don't know if we know he's good, but he does do that job, yes. <laughs> how are you, Michael? I'm doing very well. We're looking back, of course, on a Russian Grand Prix that I feel like offered us a real tantalising amount of excitement right up until the reconnaissance laps of this race. We had such a delicately poised race, didn't we? Until Lewis Hamilton copped those two penalties. Three cars, two, maybe three different strategies. That should have been peak Formula 1. Well, you could say you've you just summed up every Sochi F1 race we've ever had, <laughs> which is it's delicately balanced until the lights went out. Um, it, it does. It, Sochi has a great tendency to produce a... a, a fairly predictable race um even when the grid is is quite well you know quite well set up and it was set up that well this weekend the fact that we had max verstappen on the front row red bull's first ever front row in sochi mm. could you believe that it seems amazing to say that red bull were an interloper this weekend <laughs> we've gotten used to them being the only people that can get close to mercedes but really in sochi they, they had not done this before um so they did break things up unfortunately broke broken up in a negative sort of way first of all Max Verstappen, his last lap in Q3, which has not been really publicized, and I'm surprised no one's talked about this. He actually got a toe from mm-hmm. Valtteri Bottas, um, and uh, that helped him um, beat Bottas by 99 thousandths of a second to the front row of the grid. And I'm really surprised more was not made of that, because Bo- you know, Bottas got to shot himself in the foot there <laughs> by not getting out of the way quicker. Um, because we know the toe down to... The, the real, the de facto turn one. I know it's not turn one on the map, but the real turn one uh, is worth so much here that um, you don't want to be dragging your biggest rivals around in the, in the draft. Um, and then, of course, it, it, it came back to him in the race because um, Verstappen starting in second place, Hamilton starting first and Bota starting third, Mercedes eventually teamed up in exactly the same way that Ferrari did last year and dragged the third place runner through the you know slingshotted through into the lead just like Vettel did last year um and like Bottas actually did from the same starting position in 2017 so um yeah it was it was set up quite nicely that you know at least we knew there was a Red Bull that could be in the fight with Mercedes um it, uh, the the race on the other hand maybe not so much <laughs> It is one of the few tracks in Formula One where we talk about how much a disadvantage getting pole seems to be. Maybe Spa is one of the others, although we're not even talking about Spa in relation to Turn 1 in that sense. It's it's the run out of Turn 1 there. And drivers have kind of managed a way or found various ways to try and uh, counteract that slipstream. But in Russia, it's, as you said there, it's one of the defining, arguably the defining characteristic of this race, because as we've also already said, the Russian Grand Prix tends to be fairly strong 
straightforward once the start. It's worth adding, though, here, this is now uh, six races of the Russian Grand Prix. Sochi is no longer a, a brand new circuit, and we are slowly starting to see... I guess the track develop a little bit of character, I suppose, whereas really it was defined by being extremely smooth and offering no grip. It still largely offers no grip, but has become something of a factor in its own right. Yeah, and it's also getting bumpy. Um, I think the 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 um, you know the, the way the land is settling post Winter Olympics mm-hmm. of 2014, um, the land is starting to settle now and create bumps, which is nice because it gives us something different. I, I've often argued that. Um, contemporary F1 racetracks are like billiard tables mm. and it really it, it, if it's the same everywhere it's just a homogenous product and it's, you're not out offering any variety well at least we've got some bumps that's a start <laughs> um, because that's a different characteristic that a car has to deal with you know they, they, back in the day when we had bumpy tracks and smooth tracks you know you could see the cars that had better mechanical suspension setups cope better with the bumps and would go quicker at that racetrack so that's that's something to be lauded and I hope they don't you know, come rushing in and say, right, now we've got to resurface the whole thing for next year because somebody complained that there was a bump. Um, Yes, that is nice because Sochi is a race around a car park, basically. (laughs) It is the modern incarnation of the Las Vegas Grand Prix of 1981 (laughs) and 82, which were very, very unpopular and and obviously didn't continue after 82. Um, It's, it's, you know, it's not, it's not an unfair criticism. It's just a statement of fact. Um, it doesn't have the appeal of, say, Magello, which is an old-school track built in 1974. Magello, incidentally, never been altered since it was built in 74. So we were racing on a 1970s racetrack last uh, really? two weeks ago. Yeah, that, that, we were racing on a 1974 racetrack. Um, and that's not something we can say about any other racetrack we go to. So that's why the, you know, the cars are so spectacular around there, because the car, that track was built for 1970s motorsport. Sochi, on the other hand, built purely for F1. Um, and not only that, but hybrid era F1. Um, it's, just, it's just a little bit robotic and a little bit soulless. Um, you know, I'm probably getting into an off-topic rant that has nothing to do with strategy. Um, but that's, um, you know, it, it, it is... It was at least nice to have the variety that we had in, in Mugello compared to Sochi. One thing that had been noted from previous races in Russia is that they do tend to be, because of the smooth nature and the relatively new nature of the surface, pretty easy one-stops. That was still pretty much the case this weekend, but Pirelli at least tried to change things up a little bit by bringing its softest three compounds of tyres, which is one step softer than they were last year. And, and part of the reason why... And of course, I think this is the first time we've mentioned it so far, that Valtteri Bottas had a relatively easy run to victory, certainly after, let's say, the first stint was done and dusted over Max Verstappen. Uh, Already, we saw that the front-running teams in particular didn't have a lot of interest in running that soft tyre, despite it not showing any particularly severe degradation during Friday, any severe problems. We knew that already both Mercedes drivers wanted to get through Q2 and use it as their starting tyre, the medium tyre. Max Verstappen did the same. Bottas and Verstappen managed it. Hamilton, though, had his first lap time of Q2 deleted. His second was interrupted by the red flag. And it meant that with only 2 minutes 15 remaining on the clock once that red flag was pulled in and the session resumed, he, the team, not him, the team rather, felt that the soft tyre was the only way to guarantee he was going to make it into Q3. It meant he had to start on that tyre, but already he felt he was going to be on the back foot from there. Yeah, although I have to say I, 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 I never bought into that philosophy firstly because obviously if you're starting on the soft tire you're going to get a better launch off the start Mm. so you know that 
okay, I'm, I'm probably not going to be under threat from Verstappen. As we mentioned, there's this huge slipstream that you get going down to the first corner. So he was always going to be under threat from the driver in third place. Luckily enough, that happened to be his teammate. Um, but yeah, I never, I never subscribed to the idea that his, his race was completely compromised because he had to be on the soft. I, uh, I don't think enough was done to explain to people why the soft tire was used instead of the medium. And that was because the team felt that, okay, we're gonna, going out with two minutes to go, the track's going to be chock full of cars. Um, and you're going to have to wait at the end of the pit lane and we can't put this, we can't put the tire warmers on. So getting heat in the tire, getting the tire, the, op- the optimum working window for the start of that lap, which is the only lap you're going to have. If you mess it up, you're out. Um, we can't guarantee that that tire will be in the operating window. And if you watch the onboard of his outlap, you can see him mm. slaloming around various cars. And of course, in the process of doing that and trying to get some space, he very nearly missed the uh, missed the checkered flag for Q2. He got in there with barely a second to spare. Um, and you could hear Peter Bonington, his race engineer, actually shouting at him <laughs> firmly, saying, no, get it going, go, 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 go. Um, so, yeah, they, they, they sail close to the wind with that. But when once, as always with these things, my, my, as my old boss in television used to say, always remember the teams are smarter than us. <laughs> they know more than us. And there's sound reasoning why they've chosen to do this. And that was the reasoning, which is, of course, they would have looked like idiots if they'd sent Hamilton out on the medium. He couldn't get the, the optimum temperature in the tire and he'd spun and then he would have been out and it would have been like, well, now we look like idiots. Um, so, you know, such is, such is the way Formula One is. You can look in it. You, everyone's everyone's the, the Monday morning quarterback, <laughs> as they would say in the US. So, you know, they always, everybody always knows best in retrospect, but Mercedes have this incredible ability to know best for a, a prolonged period of time over the last six and a half years. It is an impressive stretch. And it's worth pointing out, I think Hamilton made it through to Q3 only by about four tenths of a second, and which is less than the gap between the soft and the medium's theoretical maximum pace, which was closer to 0.7, I think it was. So you'd have to say that on balance that was the right call and of course he went on to get pole and we do say that teams of course are smarter than us know more than us and Mercedes did make the right call but fast forward to Sunday afternoon and Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton made the wrong call this really set up the result of the race twice on the reconnaissance lap with a practice start don't even talk about these really in fact there's often an ad break on the television when the practice starts are taking place when the cars are leaving their garages to take their place on the grid Two five-second penalties, cumulatively 10 to be served at his first and only pit stop. This was really, if the soft tyre wasn't, and in the end the soft tyre starting on the soft tyre wasn't nearly the, the hamstring of a strategy that Lewis tried to have us believe it was, 10 seconds of the pit stop certainly was. Yeah, yeah, indeed. I want, actually, I, I just want to go deviate off topic slightly tangentially mm-hmm. and tell you a story from uh, my days working at NBC um, who who are no longer the rights holder in the US so I think I can probably tell the story <laughs> without getting any reprisals but the second race we ever did at NBC was the Malaysian Grand Prix in 2013 and um, it was a, it was quite a big budget affair and they wanted to pre-tape the uh, the pre-race um, segments um, and I said look the thing is um if we're going to do this and there's a problem, if one of these cars has a problem that you're talking about in the pre-race, everyone's going to read about it on Twitter and they're going to wonder why we're not talking about it because we taped this segment two hours ago. Um, and in the second race, it was it, Malaysia, typical Malaysia rain. Um, we had three or four cars going off into the gravel on, the, on, their, on their reconnaissance laps of the grid. 
And of course, we're airing this segment where we're talking about this, that, and the other, and not mentioning any of this mayhem that's going on out on the racetrack. <laughs> and um, I think my point was proven there on, because we, we dropped it after that. We did the whole thing live after that, because I said, look, you see what's going to happen. If one of these days, Lewis Hamilton goes into the sand trap, and you just spent 20 minutes talking about him, and then, they, and then we come to the starting grid, and he's not on the grid, and you have that time to explain why, um, that's why we do this segment live. And of course, that's he, he didn't have an accident, of course, but we we the people who weren't live would have missed the discretion that cost him the race in effect i think with these two practice starts outside of the box michael massey had had as always with the race director notes for every race which is standard procedure said okay well the practice starts to be performed here um, and for whatever reason which i i have not yet got maybe michael you've heard about it i don't know but uh, mercedes said it was completely fine for him to do a start like halfway down the straight which mm-hmm. i just thought was balmy i i thought why why did who gave him what gave him the impression that that was all right it, it seemed so obvious to me that that would not be allowed um but once they'd done it then came the, the thought of well what's the penalty because we've never actually seen that before is the penalty a fine is the penalty a, a grid drop for the next race is the penalty a time penalty in this race look we'll have to wait and see i've never seen this sort of thing before so they're going to have to adjudicate now of course initially Hamilton was given penalty points on his license, which were later rescinded because they realized it was actually Mercedes who had said to Hamilton, yes, that's fine, go ahead and do that, only to discover it was less than fine and they were getting boxed for these 10 seconds. So Mercedes really shot themselves in the foot. Um, and, you know, it was uh, definitely the, the, the winner of the race was the, the side of the garage that made the fewest mistakes. Mm-hmm. My understanding with that call from Mercedes was that they expected Lewis to go only a meter or so in front of the the pit box area or the practice start area as drivers do tend to do because they're all aware that the the exact area is quite rubbered up in terms of the number of practice starts that are executed there and they didn't see his first practice start which is of course substantially ahead of that area and so didn't tell him to do it a second time Uh, they assumed that he'd only done it quite close to the to the regular area perhaps if they'd seen that first practice start they would have told him he wouldn't have done it the second time and he might have got off with a warning it's impossible to say but doing it twice kind of doesn't leave the stewards with a lot of room to say that it was a only a mistake and, and nothing went wrong so mm. it was kind of a i, I guess you could say a, a lack of attentiveness and a miscommunication between team and driver that cost a race yeah on such small things you know they do win or lose and of course it was a miscommunication that cost hamilton the race in italy as well mm. when he pitted when the pits were closed um so it's these fine margins that you can you can trip yourself up and of course it, it it speaks volumes doesn't it about mercedes dominance of this sport in the hybrid era that more often than not when mercedes don't win it's because they beat themselves mm. they they did not execute and they fell foul of the rules as opposed to falling foul of a driver who was actually quicker than them um, and in this instance, I totally understand why Hamilton was wanting to do what he did, because um, starting from the standard box where they could do practice starts is all rubbered up, as you mentioned, where he was actually starting on the grid would not be that way. So for the electronics to learn the bike points and so on, it would be a different uh, different environment. You know, the, the, the asphalt would be in a different shape. So, yeah, why wouldn't you start more on a more sort of virgin asphalt than that? So that made sense. But unfortunately, um <laughs> kind of took it and exaggerated where you could go a little bit. Um, so the, the penalties, yeah, I mean, they were banged to rights, weren't they? It was, uh, it was a pretty a fair, it was a fair penalty. But yeah, I don't think, I, I, I genuinely think he would have won the race 
had he not had that penalty because even though he was whinging that the soft tyre was not going to hold up, as I mentioned, Pirelli thought the strategy that he actually employed in that race would have been the fastest uh, strategy. He didn't want to start the race on that tyre, but once he was on that tyre, it certainly didn't seem to be having any problems with lap time. He was he was comfortable in the lead. And you, I mean, in fact, you heard him whinging that he didn't even want to come into the pits. Mm-hmm. I, suspect, I suspect Mercedes only boxed him when they did because they didn't want a blowout, the kind of which that they had at Silverstone because... You know, they didn't want to find out that the tyre was fine until it suddenly wasn't fine. So, you know, there was some discretion employed on that part. Well, this is the really interesting part of this race. This is the the key part of this race, really, was how Mercedes reacted in this first stint. And you touched on there that, that Lewis was pleading not to be brought in too early. He'd managed to keep the lead despite, despite the slipstream. Valtteri Bottas blamed a bee hitting his helmet as the reason why he couldn't take the lead into the second corner, as good a reason as any, I suppose. But lap 16 was when Lewis Hamilton stopped for the new hard tyre. This was pretty much the window that Mercedes had anticipated before the race. So it was pretty much exactly according to plan. But we surprised considering we got five laps behind the safety car. So essentially that's extending the tyres by not quite five laps because of course they're still being used, but by more than they would have been had they been five racing laps. But they brought him in anyway when it seemed like the pace of the tyre was good. The driver certainly wanted to stay out. Uh, had he got to lap 20, effectively 15 racing laps, so it would have been, let's say, a more representative window, the field behind him would also have spread out more because by stopping on lap 16, he dropped down to 11th, which was quite a way off, and, and he had to rely on other drivers then pitting in front of him before he could try and extract pace from those tyres. It feels like that there was more to gain for Hamilton had they tried to extend that stint. Yeah, I think, uh, pace-wise, I think they would have liked to. I just think that they, they were probably a little bit, you know, once bitten, twice shy by the after effects of what happened at Silverstone, where they just got away with it, with the with the tyre failing on the last lap. I think they, they didn't want to get into a situation where that would be a problem. Mercedes have always pushed a, a, a strategy of risk minimization as opposed to, you know, maximum reward. It's always been, let's minimize the risk, make sure we at least get the points first, and then we can worry about whether it's a one-two or not. Um with a few, with a few exceptions. For instance, uh, Hungary last year, when they boxed Hamilton while fighting with Verstappen, where they really rolled the dice on that one, and it came up double six um, because Hamilton won the race, which I don't think he would have done had they not done that. Um, and and not only that, but I, I think it's again, you know, the the strategy was without the penalty. The strategy I think would have been the winning strategy because uh, Hamilton would have had a, a strong undercut on that hard tire. Uh, the hard tire was very good. In Friday, if I just uh, have a look at my the notes that I actually wrote for the broadcasters on Friday, um, Botas Botas ran the hard tire on on Friday afternoon, and Hamilton ran the medium tire. Well, how uh, Botas's average lap was a second a lap quicker than Hamilton when when only dealing when only, when only averaging out the push laps, taking out the charge laps and the slow laps and everything. Ha- uh, Botas's average time was actually a second a lap quicker than Hamilton's on the medium. So. It would be therefore reasonable to assume that Hamilton on a new set of hards like with Botas and Verstappen on used mediums at the same time would have a huge undercut there. Um, so, yeah, it, I, I think the, the, the win was, was there for the taking, which I suspect explained Hamilton's rather dismissive demeanor post-race because they knew that, okay, we were well on the way there. Um, but, you know, 
such as life. Well, they did play it safe, I think, was the conclusion, really, because an extra five laps perhaps would have been a gamble. Yeah. You know, the idea that the soft tyre would have been heading towards its expected life expectancy, even in Pirelli's words, really, the, the maximum. No one got past lap 20. It was only Sergio Perez, and we'll talk about him in a second. So it would have been pushing it, I suppose, to to the upper limit. But those extra five laps, I think, really could have made a difference. If not, of course, with the penalty for the victory, because those extra 10 seconds really proved fatal to that. But looking at the numbers, those going going a little bit further and dropping only to fifth, as it would have been had he stopped on around lap 20, assuming that the tyres held up, uh, would have put him well within Max Verstappen's pit window, uh, I think, looking at the numbers uh, by lap 25, if Verstappen waited until lap 25 to stop, as he did in the actual mm. race. Because when Verstappen did stop, he was only five seconds ahead of Hamilton at that point. And that could have made the difference because he lost about five seconds by pitting early, did Lewis, as opposed to waiting. So I think that there was a margin there for Mercedes to gain a little bit more had they gone a little bit more aggressive. But I suppose when you're in a compromised position, the the instinct, as you said, for Mercedes is to just try and, well, I mean, a podium is certainly not a bad result, so just to try and rescue that minimum and then anything after that, I suppose, is a bonus. Yeah, I mean, we should put it in the context of what it is. I mean, Hamilton going into this race was 55 points clear in the championship. Mm -hmm. He is not needing to win every race to win this world championship. And if he does win the world championship this year and ties Michael Schumacher's seven world titles, 25 years from now, he will not tell us about the Russian Grand Prix (laughs) that he should have won because they pitted a little bit too early. It will not, it will be not even a blip on the statistical radar. Um, So yeah, I don't think that he won't lose too much sleep over that six months from now, or even maybe even two weeks from now, once we get another race going. But in context, the, the front runners who ran the soft tire uh, for long stints on Friday, the most the, of the front runners, Charles Leclerc ran his tire for the longest life. He, he did 19 laps on the, on the soft tire. So no one had gone beyond lap 20. And you, you referenced the fact that Sergio Perez, uh, among the front runners anyway, Sergio Perez boxed on lap 20. So I'm sure all of the teams were cognizant of the fact that, okay, beyond lap 20, we're in uncharted territory. We don't know if the tyre will fail. Um, It might be good until it suddenly isn't, just as was the case Mm -hmm. at Silverstone. Um, So they didn't want to put themselves in that situation because obviously if Hamilton gets 15 points for third place, that's better than zero points for DNF. Um, And again, I highlight Mercedes are always risk averse. They like to make sure they get points in the bag first before playing for the big prizes. Fortunately, the car has been so dominant that playing for the big prizes has almost been the default position for the last seven seasons. Um, But they are generally um, less likely to roll the dice than someone like Racing Point, which is, you know, which would explain why Perez would go long in the stint or be prepared to do so. Um, for possible better reward down the way because they just don't have they you know they have a very good car and so, in fact some may say they have someone else's car um, <laughs> but, but unfortunately that car is not a race winning car in 2020 unless we get the sort of extenuating circumstances that we had at Monza let's just talk about Sergio Perez in a second uh, to briefly wrap up the conclusion from the battle for victory Lewis Hamilton out of contention which meant Valtteri Bottas inherited the lead uh, slipstreaming uh, past Verstappen into turn two was crucial Verstappen also went off at turn two so confirmed he wasn't going to be challenging for the lead there and was able to comfortably cover Verstappen at the one pit stop at about 
mid-distance to ease out to his second victory of the season. But to Perez, who ran longest uh, on the soft tyre in the first stint, I should say. And this helped him out because he lost two positions to both Renault drivers at the start. Uh, So lost a couple of positions there. But it wasn't simply running longer than the Renault drivers that helped him here. It wasn't simply an undercut that worked when Ricardo and Ocon both felt their rear softs were starting to expire. Uh, Ricardo pitting on lap 15, Ocon on lap 18. It was that both Renault drivers got caught in traffic, which was always going to be the risk starting on the soft here because it is difficult to pass. And other cars, in particular um, Sebastian Vettel, who they got stuck behind, who started on the mediums, and even Kimi Raikkonen, who started on the hards. That meant being stuck behind there created this gap for Perez to really maximize that overcut overcut and emerge in front of all of them uh, and reclaim that position. And in fact, by the time the Renault drivers got past Sebastian Vettel, he ended up 10 seconds up the road. So really quite dramatically reversed what was a disappointing first lap for him to record a very strong result for Racing Point, which you'd have to say has been relatively inconsistent this season for a team that is running maybe someone else's car, as you said. Well, I, I don't know if they've been inconsistent necessarily because we, we should we should bear in mind that they're, what, they're only two points now off uh, McLaren for third place in the mm-hmm. Constructors' Championship. And that's after they officially scored negative one point in the Styrian <laughs> Grand Prix when they were given the 15-point penalty. If that 15-point penalty had not been uh, applied, they would be clear third in the World Championship right now. Sergio Perez, uh, it's funny you mentioned the positions lost at the start because uh, I actually did this in a, in a piece that I presented to Paddock Club before the start of the race uh, today. Perez, other than Lewis Hamilton, who of course generally starts at the front, usually from pole position, other than Hamilton, Perez is the only driver in Formula 1 who has not gained a position on the first lap this year. Mm-hmm. And I, I had presented the thing prior to the race because I, I had explained, here's what's going to happen. Botas is going to slingshot past Hamilton. <laughs> They're going to hang Verstappen out to dry. And Perez is going to be nowhere near any of this, even though he's fourth on the grid. And here's why. So I'd explained all that. And then I showed a start that Perez made in Spain, where he immediately got passed by Stroll and then by Albon. Um and I said, Perez is the worst starter on the grid. And even though he's fourth, for incidentally, the ninth time in his Grand Prix career that he started fourth on the grid, and he's never started in the top three. How do you do that? How do you start fourth <laughs> nine times without ever a top three start? But he cannot start a Grand Prix to save his life, it seems, because he keeps going backwards. And uh, as you mentioned, today was no exception. He did eventually recover uh, his position to finish fourth, um, which... You know, that's winning the Class B World Championship right now, isn't it? Behind mm-hmm. uh, the two Mercedes and the Red Bull. So he can be reasonably uh, happy with that performance. But yes, his, his, his race starts, I'm afraid, do leave a lot to be desired. If only he could get in amongst them. Imagine if he could have been part of that early draft. You know, what, what, that, what might that have done for his race? We, you know, we don't know, um, but it, it would be fascinating to wonder what it might have been like. It was his, by, by the way, it was actually uh, Perez's best finish today, fourth, uh, since he was on the podium in Azerbaijan in 2018. So two and a half years since Perez has finished in the top four in a Grand Prix, which seems a bit bonkers. It doesn't yeah. seem right, but yes, yeah, uh, that is the case. Shockingly long ago, it really speaks to how difficult it is to get on a podium if you're not one of the big three or this year big two teams. Of course, he benefited, as I said, from the Renault drivers being stuck behind Sebastian Vettel. But of course, the the chief beneficiary or the intended beneficiary, I suppose you could say, uh, was Charles Leclerc, the Sebastian Vettel's teammate, who was also running long, similarly running long, although starting on the medium tyre, having qualified 11th and starting 10th after Alex Albon took a, a gearbox penalty. 
penalty. He ran to lap 28 on that medium tyre and he easily, comfortably fell into that gap between the Renault drivers because Daniel Ricciardo had managed to get past Sebastian Vettel slightly before Esteban Ocon had and that was enough of a difference. And that was done, it should be said, via a team order inside Renault, uh, ordering Ocon to let Ricciardo pass to try and pass Vettel and that did make the difference. So Renault potentially could have lost an extra place there had they not made that order uh, for Daniel to pass Esteban and then try and pass Sebastian. Could have been the difference uh, between another position for them. Yeah, and in fact, they they did their best to lose that position <laughs> as well, of course, because of that botched um, uh, team order where Ricardo ran wide um, over the sausage curbs into turn two and picked up a five-second penalty for his, for his efforts. Uh, thankfully, he... He, as he promised on the radio, he drove faster, <laughs> and uh, and it ended up being of no consequence. But yes, Charles Leclerc did do twenty eight laps on that uh, C four medium. We should hasten to add, of course, it was a brand new tire, so he because he didn't make he didn't reach Q three, so I gave him a few more laps um, over you know Bottas and Verstappen who were starting on the used medium. Um, but for Ferrari this season is a bit of a hit and hope, really, isn't it? It's uh, there's not really. Um, you know they're sixth in the championship. This is going to this is looking set to be their worst season since 1981. Um, and in 1981, they actually won races. So you know, if you take that if you take that out, you'd be going all the way back to 1980 when I think they were I think they were ninth in the championship that year, maybe tenth. They had even failed to qualify in the Canadian Grand Prix. So it's uh, been a long time since we've seen Ferrari quite this bad. And I think we should probably consider is Charles Leclerc having one of those great seasons mm. that we don't really talk about. You know, um, is it a season like uh, Jacques Villeneuve had at Williams in 98, for instance, where I, I, I was a Villeneuve fan before I, before I enter the remarks on the record that I'm about to give. But he's, his 97 World Championship was one of the most laboured World Championships ever in one of the most clearly dominant cars of all time. And yet somehow it took him to the last mm-hmm. round. Um, to beat Michael Schumacher in a Ferrari that had no business being up there. But in 98, uh, Villeneuve in a Williams that had no business being at the front frequently uh, was doing things with it that didn't seem um, that it should be doing. And I think that's what Leclerc's doing with the Ferrari this year. We saw Alonso turn these sorts of tricks in in his uh, late model Ferrari career, particularly in 2014. Um, in fact, you would say that the closest relative to Leclerc's season right now is Alonso in 2014. That season, Ferrari only had two podium finishes all season. Well, Leclerc has Ferrari's only two podium finishes this season, and they certainly don't look like they're going to win a race, just like they were winless in 2014, which uh, was the uh, the thing that uh, precipitated Alonso's departure from the team. And now, of course, Ferrari are again losing their incumbent world champion from the team in the form of Sebastian Vettel, who really... I don't know whether it's something at the car or just him thinking, I'm just, just not having this anymore. I just, you know, feel like I've been turfed mm. out. The car's no good. He's already dreaming of British racing green <laughs> next year with a dash of pink. Who'd have thought that combination would work? Though, really, I mean, from a strategic point of view, quite a very top 10. You wouldn't have guessed that just watching the race and looking at the result, but certainly some intrigue among the midfield. And sometimes that's... All you can really look forward to in Formula 1. Pleasure to talk to you again, Sean, for this Russian Grand Prix. Pleasure as always, Michael. I'm sure we'll next year we'll reconvene and make it the third year in a row that I have dissected <laughs> the results of the Russian Grand Prix. 
That was renowned F1 stats man Sean Kelly. The strategy report is powered by Apex Race Manager, the mobile race management simulator. Play it for free on iOS and Android devices. If you want more strategy report, you can get every episode by subscribing on Google and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and on your favorite podcast app, plus all of your social channels. And if you like what you've heard, we'd love it if you could give us a rating and a review to help other F1 fans find the show. My name's Michael Aminato. You can look me up on Twitter at Michael Aminato. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast, and I'll catch you next week for a preview of the Eiffel and Portuguese Grand Prix.